speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I gave a summary of my sermon at 9 o'clock, and the summary went 12 minutes, so I've got my watch out. I'll try just to give you the summary. If you're, do you know this? If you're in the woods with your friend in the forest and you encounter a bear, how fast do you have to be able to run? Just faster than your friend. <laughs> we live in a culture that's big on comparison and competition. Uh, when I, to be honest, when I was a student in school, I, if when I had a project or an exam, project or an exam, uh, I didn't usually care how well I did. Didn't really care, as long as I did better than the next guy. You know, and that's just, you can consign yourself to that if you get stuck on comparison. You can always feel inadequate or less than other people, uh, and it's not about how well you do in comparison, it's how well you live out the life God has called you to. But that's hard. But comparison can also give us the same perspective on what's going on. If we drive around, we tend to look at the houses that are bigger than our house and, not, and feel unfortunate. We don't usually drive by houses that are smaller and think, oh, I'm so fortunate. Helen Keller said, instead of comparing our lot with those who are more fortunate than we are, we should compare it with the lot of the great majority of our fellow men. It then appears that we are among the privileged, written by someone who is deaf, dumb, and blind. In our gospel reading today, then, we have an extraordinary comparison that I think is meant to help us live out our life of faith. So I invite you to turn in your bulletin to our gospel reading today from the gospel of Matthew. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Now, the translation we have here is another member of the church. Uh, the, the Greek just has the word for brother. And we know Peter's brother's name, Andrew. So it's easy to imagine the two brothers having at it, getting up each other's noses. And Peter saying, how long do I have to put up with him? Being annoyed and um, frustrated. Peter's must have had a bad week. And he says, do I have to do it seven times? The rabbi said, you have to forgive, but only three times. So Peter's kind of thinking he's gone way beyond the three with suggesting that he would do it seven times. But Peter explodes his understanding of forgiveness and says, no, you must forgive 77 times, or some translations, 70 times seven. In other words, to keep forgiving until you lose count. Because I think forgiveness at its heart is the very opposite to keeping count. Not that we have to forgive more times, but that we just have to become a more forgiving person to live that life. Then Jesus goes on to tell this story about a comparison, and he uses the person of a king. A lot of Jesus' parables have the kingdom of God is like, but in a few times he said it's like a king who does something. So this is one of the few times he does that. So there's a king who wishes to settle accounts in verse 23. Verse 24, he began reckoning, and one owed him 10,000 talents. Now, if you're not familiar with the value of a talent, I've been told that a talent is worth about 15 years of wage of a common laborer. One talent, 
15 years of wage, and he owed him 10,000 talents. First of all, the story reminds us that God is king, he is sovereign, he is our Lord, and we owe him. We owe him our very life. We are completely in his debt. So he, sa- he orders him to be sold, him and his wife and his children and all his possessions. This is not cruelty, it's fairness, it's justice. That's what happens if you're in debt and can't pay it. That was what the law said, the legal traditions dictated. So 26, the slave falls on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He doesn't say, be, please forgive me. That's probably not a category in his mind. He probably has no experience of a Middle Eastern ancient king just forgiving this outrageous amount of money. So he says, have patience with me and I will repay you, which is a crazy statement. 10,000 talents, a slave? But we do not like to be beholden. We would much rather pay our debts. We'd much rather not acknowledge that we have a debt we cannot pay, a debt for which we're responsible. So he says, have patience with me and I will repay you. Verse 27 then, the king demonstrates his great compassion. says, out of pity, in the depths of his heart, he looks at him and releases him from the debt and forgives him. The king does the unthinkable. Who would do that? It shows us, A, that he must have been very wealthy if he could write off a debt of 10,000 talents, a huge amount of money, but also he has great compassion, forgives his slave, which means freedom for his wife and his children and his possessions. So we have this great picture of generosity. Then we come to the comparison, verse 28. The same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii. So what do you think he's going to do? You think, man, the king has been so generous, you'll be generous, right? But no, he seizes him by the throat and says, pay what you owe. The fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him in exactly the same words as the other slave had used to the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you. The difference is this fellow slave probably could have paid him. It was just a couple days wages. 100 denarii is a very uh, manageable amount. But the other slave refused and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. The king had offered to sell the slave, not throw him into prison, but this fellow slave just goes the extra mile and wants to throw him in prison. How do you think God expects us to live when we're conscious of how much he's forgiven us? How big our debt was to him and yet he forgives us. Does he expect us to reflect that in how we deal with one another? How quickly the slave forgot the mercy and compassion he had just received. And so, verse 31, when the fellow slaves saw what had happened, then they tell the master, he says, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be what? Do you see it in the text? To be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. It's rather a grim ending to this passage where the king is being fair and then he's being merciful and now he seems to be vindictive almost. 
God is not under an obligation to forgive. Despite what the German poet said, God has to forgive me, it's his business, by Heinrich Heine, a, a German poet. But God's not under obligation to forgive. Forgiveness is not justice, it's so much more than justice. And in this comparison, just to, to, to uh, sort of uh, make it more vivid, one of the commentators said, he's British, he said, if, you, if that money was estimated in sixpence pieces, that is a small coin, maybe something like our nickel or dime, he said, what the fellow slave owed, you could hold in your pocket. Be, that would be the amount of debt from the one slave to the other. The debt that the slave was forgiven would take 8,600 people, each carrying a bag of 60 pounds of coin, and if they were spread out one yard apart, would form a line five miles. I've often found that helpful to remember what God has forgiven me. We have been forgiven a debt which is beyond all pain, for the sin of mankind brought about the death of God's own Son. And if that is so, we must forgive others. Verse 35, so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Now, two things. One is, so the heavenly Father will torture us? What I think it means is that the way God has designed us, if we do not learn to be of a forgiving nature, we will consign ourselves to torture. So many people, when death approaches, are uh, terrorized by the thought that they have something against somebody and that's never been resolved. And so we can torture ourselves, consigning ourselves to resentment, to frustration, to anger, to hatred, to feelings of superiority or entitlement. And the second thing is that forgiveness uh, is more than individual acts of forgiveness. If someone sins against me and I forgive them, that's forgiveness. But when Jesus said to forgive 77 times, he meant for that to become our second nature. I recently auditioned for an orchestra. That's crazy, but... And I, I'm really nervous because my timing is very bad. And I have to go very slowly over each note and time. But then I look at people like Sylvia Doreen, and they just seem to be able to think of the music, and it plays. And what Jesus is calling us to is a life of graciousness compassion, mercy, and forgiveness, that it becomes second nature to us. Yes, we still work for justice, but we want our hearts to be tender. Jesus often speaks about a kingdom. The heaven is like a kingdom. But it's not like a kingdom with walls around it that's being defensive and sticking to ourselves. It's a realm where the king is in charge. A new realm where people are learning to live lives of love and mercy and grace, where we gravitate naturally towards grace. Father Bates does a wonderful forgiveness seminar. It's about a three-hour seminar. He's offering it again in November. I know some of you have taken it. And I strongly encourage you to attend if you can. It's so important at the heart of our Christian message. When we read the Lord's Prayer, we sometimes fail to remember what we're asking. And forgive us 
our trespasses in the same way that we forgive others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. My forgiveness of others is often very grudging, hesitant, limited. Is that how I want God to forgive me when I'm in need of forgiveness? Hopefully not. And so forgiveness isn't just an individual transaction, but it's embracing that lifestyle which opens ourselves to the forgiveness of God, which just cannot get in any other way. Let me just end with a story from Corey Ten Boom. Do people know the name Corey Ten Boom, The Hiding Place? It was a wonderful book made into a movie. She, was a, a, she got captured in her native Holland by the Nazis and spent many years as a young girl and a young woman in uh, Nazi Germany in a concentration camp with her sister. Her sister died while she was there. Uh, when she was released, uh, she was a wonderful Christian woman, and she was going around, became a fairly well-known speaker about forgiveness and the love of God, etc. One day after her, one of her talks, a man approached her with his hand outstretched, and she recognized him as one of the most cruel of the guards in the prison camp. He was heartless, had humiliated her and degraded her and her sister. And now he stood before her with his hand outstretched and said, Will you forgive me? She writes in her book, I stood there with coldness clutching my heart, but I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart, and I prayed, Jesus, help me. Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And I experienced an incredible thing. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, and sprang into our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with my whole heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. And I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover the prisoner was you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.